Hi, this is Mac. I just wanted to come on here and put in a quick trigger warning. Um, we will be discussing the book King Kong Theory, and there are some sensitive topics, and we do discuss uh, topics such as rape and other things. So just wanted to add this in here real quick. Enjoy. We just both have crazy hair because I need to, like, dye mine again, too. Wait, but yours actually looks really soft. It's slaying right now. I did get in my FabFitFun box this hydration, like overnight treatment. It's really mm-hmm. easy because all you do is you put it in your hair, you go to sleep, you don't have to rinse it out. And it, it's made it like so soft. I put it on my wig too. Um, I need you I need you to inf- like influence us into buying it. Um, so please, please tell me what the product is called. Hang on, give me one second. Let me grab it. I was also, I was shocked when I came in because it's a glass bottle. Not the ASMR. <laughs> I thought you were doing ASMR. Hey everybody, welcome back to our channel. Um, we're doing ASMR and my hair is soft because of this. It's kind you know of what? I don't, <laughs> I don't hate ASMR like I used to. Like I really used to hate ASMR, and now I won't like go out of my way to listen to ASMR. But like, if it so happens to come up on my TikTok, like sometimes I'll, I'll watch for a little while. I have a confession. I was an addict at one point. I had like six subscriptions to like the Snapchat ASMR things with like the soap cutting, and I would watch every single one every morning. For like an hour before I did anything. It had a chokehold on me. This is a confession. I had no idea that any... You kept it under wraps. I had no idea. It's called uh, Amika, I think. It's called the Dream Routine Overnight Hydration Treatment. Thank you for influencing us. They should sponsor us. Yes, please, because I need some help. Did you ever get that? Oh, you did get that influencer box. For good molecules. Yes. So we'll have to put it. Mm. Maybe you can just like try some stuff. Yeah. And then the next box, I'll just get some to me. We did some explanations because we were going to try to do it when we were in Philly, and then it took way too long to get there. Um, So we'll have a product review later on one one day one of these days we'll have one but um today in case anyone was wondering once we get into that oh well actually no let's just chit chat and then we'll tell them what they're getting themselves I into today have big news i think i saw in the google doc but go ahead i am getting a puppy i said it last time that like i was wanting to get a puppy and Honestly, I'm surprised that this even worked out because I had applied for her. Um, She's a brown pit, so her and Molly are going to literally look so adorable together. She's only 11. She's three months old. So she's three months old, but she's only 11 pounds. She's a little baby. She was probably like the runt of her litter. Mm -hmm. Um, So she's only going to be like 40, 50 pounds. Molly's like 50, 60. So but um, this weekend I'm going to a bar crawl, so she will not be coming this weekend. So next weekend, um, mm-hmm. Foster, who literally used to live in my neighborhood, which is crazy. We were chit-chatting. Like, we knew each other for 10 years. Love her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going to come on Saturday and bring my puppy so she can, like, meet Molly, make sure that works. I mean, Molly's going to be obsessed. Um, and, you know, make sure I don't have a puppy mill in my backyard. So... Right. Well, I'm happy that Molly's going to get a friend and I'm honestly jealous of how um, dogs can usually adjust to other dogs pretty well, depending. I mean, not all, but unlike cats where it literally takes forever to get them adjusted to each other. Are you drinking a Dr. Pepper? I'm drinking a root beer. Well, okay. So I've been like terrified of soda for like since I went vegan because like you know, all those health documentaries and stuff like that. And they were like, soda so bad for you. So I didn't drink soda for like three years, I want to say. And then finally I was like, I'm going to allow myself, but only drink the light sodas because I still have this like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nagging thought in my head. Like if you drink a dark soda, like you're going to die, you're going to get obese and you're going to die. 
Um, and I've been like having those thoughts like for the longest time, which is why I haven't, I haven't had a Coke in like eight years. I want to say because of whatever I watched back when I was vegan in high school. But today I finally allowed myself, I'm, I ordered Chick-fil-A. Um, I know they're homophobic, but the chicken's good anyways. Um, and I got a cherry Coke. So you're back. See, I um, remember in high school, I also did like a whole like no soda thing. And then I like started drinking soda again when I came to college. And then I also went on a no soda drinking thing for like a year. Um, And then I was on like a Diet Coke kick right before COVID. Loved me a Diet Coke. And then after I got COVID and my taste came back, Diet Coke tastes like battery acid to me for some reason. It's so sad. But root beer still tastes amazing. So I just have a whole case of A&W in my house at all times. Usually I don't keep soda in my house because I will drink it every day if I have it in my house. So I only allow myself, I get a little, you know, I, I treat myself anytime I go out to like a restaurant or something. Usually I get the Sprite or the ginger ale or like have been my go-tos for a long time, which I still like those. But I was like, I'm going to treat myself tonight. I'm going to get a cherry Coke. Um, we must move on to bigger and better things. Um don't know what those things are yet, but we are, we are moving. moving on and moving up. Can we also talk about my new like hyper fixation on 9-11? Welcome to the club. <laughs> no, but like I watched, have you ever seen that documentary 102 minutes that changed America? Mm-hmm. I, like a long time ago. I just recently watched it because I was like, to be honest, I don't even know what happened during 9-11. Like, obviously, I know the Twin Towers. Like, you know, I know the gist, but I was like, I don't really know, like, what what happened. So I watched the documentary, and I was like, this is crazy. And then me and my sister were trying to figure out, like, you know the people that jumped from, like, the, the highest floors mm-hmm. that, that like, could be saved? Seeing those pictures that young really does something to your brain. Right. But and if you think about it, like, so, like, insane. I, like, did the math to see because I'm like, how many feet in the air – you know, is that because Mm -hmm. like for them to jump because uh, yeah, you know, you had either you were going to burn in the building at a thousand degrees Fahrenheit when I looked it up, like how hot it would have been in the building. I would have jumped because one burning to death is like the most painful thing. And you basically suffocate too, if you're standing, Mm -hmm. Um, I would jump because I also have always wanted to go skydiving. And if I was going to die, like you might as well check it off. Yeah, but I'm, like, terrified. of Like, I honestly, when I was, like, really thinking about it, I was like, I don't think I could have jumped. Like, from that high up, no. I could not have jumped. Even, like, because not that many people jumped, considering how many people died in 9-11, if only 200 versus, like, I forget what the number is, how many people died in 9-11, but only 200 people jumped. So, but, I mean, also that's because the towers collapsed as well is probably where most of the deaths actually came from not yeah. from the plane hitting um Cause I that. Think cause but people, now because the plane um hit like the top side of the tower so you know yeah. anyone on like those floors and up you know were oh they're to, done like, they didn't have a choice but like the people on the lower floors were obviously like trying to like go down the stairs and stuff and then you know right I, they didn't i don't think they thought it was going to collapse yeah which makes sense because i think the but i but i i think i remember anyways i don't know why we're talking about not i don't know why we're talking about 9-11 but um uh but then netflix just put out a documentary on mh370 the plane that went missing you know malaysian air flight or airline they just put out a documentary on it and i started watching it and it seems like it's going to be really good so far Cause I like specifically remember like when that happened and they mm-hmm. were like, it just went missing. It's gone, which what? Um, and then it was like on like the like global news for like ever. And then it just stopped mm-hmm. and it was gone. like, nobody talked about it again. Which yeah. I did uh, see this thing that was talking about like why the Bermuda Triangle is like that. And it, there's like these waves that I can't remember what they're called, but they're like 
they thought that they were super rare. You know, they were just like these giant waves that came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they knew those were a thing. And like, that was probably what happened to like some of the boats and stuff. Um, but they thought this was like a once in like every 10 years phenomenon. Um, nope. Apparently it happens very frequently. <laughs> and that is why all of the ships crash. It's because like these waves came out of nowhere. Well, okay. Actually, so two things. Um, don't let me forget about the Bermuda Triangle part um, because I have something and the moon landing. So don't let me forget about those while I just say this with the Malaysian air flight uh, airlines or whatever. So when like the plane went missing and they brought in like the vice president and the president of the airline, you know, into the little room or whatever. And then he's like, yeah. And then by six o'clock, like CNN was calling me like this plane. is What happened to the plane? And tell me why the guy from Malaysian air the vice president of Malaysian Airlines went on CNN and said, we have genuinely no idea where the fuck this plane went. And, and the best part is um, they had seven hours of fuel and now they only have two hours. So they're going to run out of fuel in two hours. Well, that man has no media training. That's what I was thinking. Like the, oh, like absolutely. nobody, no one, no U S airline would ever get on the air and be like, no, we genuinely have no idea where it went. And it's probably going to crash soon if it's still in the air because it's going to run out of jet fuel. So I thought that was kind of funny, but um, just watch the documentary. Cause they'll explain, they, they instantly agree of how it could disappear. Second thing, Bermuda triangle. Okay guys. Um, sorry. I don't exactly remember where we left off, but recording issues. But anyways, I think I was talking about the Bermuda triangle and how the scientists basically said that like, there's no more disappearance, accidents, weird shit happening in the Bermuda Triangle than anywhere else in the world. But for whatever yeah. reason, people just started picking up on the Bermuda, like, you know what I mean? It just, like, I think probably through some, you know, folklore kind of thing. But, I mean, that's disappointing because I used to be obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle when I was younger. Interesting. Um, and Yes. Yeah. Another thing is, tell me why I'm sitting at the table in my biostats class with all of my girlies and that are in the class mm-hmm. mind you all these people are masters or phd doing the same thing microbiology and immunology and i just pull and i say who actually believes that the moon landing was fake i mean real why did everybody raise their hand i said oh now it's starting to make sense why i got bullied on tiktok for the moon landing makana people legit do believe the moon landing was real like this is not a common thing this is not as common like i thought everyone thought it was fake have you watched the movie moonfall no okay you need to watch it it's on hbo um but have you ever heard of a mega structurist it's like a actual thing i mean it's not a thing, no but- a thing in the way that furries are also a thing but um mega structurists are (laughs) i saw this tweet that was like uh i saw like it was like a furry who was like dancing the k-pop and it was like pick a struggle (laughs) (laughs) no okay but um a mega structurist is the one who believes that like the moon is not actually a moon like it's just like a structure it's a hologram no so what they think it is is that like the outside of the moon is basically like so like think of like inverted solar panels like the solar panels are all facing inside of the moon right because right on the inside of the moon is like a dwarf star and so they're harvesting the like someone is harvesting the energy from the moon because it's actually a dwarf star um it's very interesting. Well, there's also people that believe that JFK's head is in the moon or something. <laughs> so, but I feel like, no, and the way that people were looking at me, they were like, you don't think it, the moon landing was real? And I was like, no, like not the first one. And then this girl was like, my dad literally watched it live on TV. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ooh, girl, I'm sure he did see it live on TV. And I'm sure that he saw the little flag waving in the wind in the shadows. Why are there shadows on the moon? So I don't like the way I got attacked. And she was like, you should really watch this flat earth documentary. Bitch, I don't believe the earth is flat. I just believe we didn't. Is it really that crazy to believe that we didn't land on the moon the first time that we said that we did? Is it really that crazy? Right, because I truly don't understand how with the technology we had at that point, we got to the moon. 
Oh, like so people to I was talking to this person that I know that is a um, airplane engineer. And he said the reason that they could do it then, but like now they're having all this bullshit problems is because they would never fly one of those space shuttles now with all of the safety, <laughs> the safety precautions. He was basically saying like, we have a lot more safety precautions now. And uh, the spaceship that flew those people to the moon are like back in, you know, the nineties or whatever would never pass a safety inspection today. Well, also like after the challenger, they're like, yeah, if it's not passing a safety instruction or safety inspection, we're not doing it. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminds me because like in that Moonfall movie, they have to like have no electronics. And, like, really, like, all you're doing is fucking firing a rocket into the air with people on it and just hoping that it catches <laughs> orbit, right? Because did you know that, you know, you don't, you have to shoot out at, like, a very specific point of, like, the moon's rotation and everything? Because if you miss orbit, you just float. In no way. So I'm also, like, wondering how out of any of the thing like i mean maybe they have like small crafts but like how any of the crafts that had people on it didn't miss orbit like not even once <laughs> you know what and that's a really good point <laughs> i guess i feel like that would be a probable thing to happen that's a good point we should investigate that that's our next investigation episode <laughs> yeah well, that's like, you know, like there's actually a ceiling <laughs> people also believe that the moon, the moon is like a, a projection like basically like a big projector is like projected the moon and it's not real <laughs> I'm like I believe the moon is real I know the earth is round I'm just saying we fake the moon landing and that Walt Disney's head is in Space Mountain <laughs> oh no I, yeah I can believe that what, you said JFK no JFK people believe that JFK's head is on the moon <laughs> Why would they put it on the moon? <laughs> I have no idea. But me and Elena were talking about, like, because, you know, Walt Disney, like, wanted to freeze his head or whatever so that he could, like, be woken up or whatever, like, in the future. I'm like, if I get woken up after I pass, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. I never want to come back to this godforsaken earth ever again. And I would like to be at peace in my consciousness of nothing. So thank you. But don't wake me up again. Yeah, so that makes sense. When I went with Brian to like go get his tattoo, and his tattoo artist was really cool. And we just like got into like this deep conversation about the universe and everything. And we were talking about like you know what happens after you die and stuff. And you know I hope it is just nothing. Like I don't, I don't need to be reincarnated or anything. Like I'm good. Um, also, My dad. That scientist like found more universe like it's because you know how they think that like everything started at the big bang yeah apparently they've learned that there's like before the big bang which not surprised by that how you figure that out like but but i trust i trust those people you know do your thing yeah like um i actually don't have an opinion on how the universe started because i don't really care i just hope there's nothing after <laughs> like i don't know i don't i don't really know enough about like the big bang theory like i just don't care to know like i don't care how we got here i just know i'm suffering and well, i want I the suffering it, to end. i really think it is just chance like the same way because it really is just evolution we just evolved yeah. a certain way like everyone has the same mitochondria like stamp or something like the same yeah type of because one mom way 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 back then passed it on and it just so happened that her family line was the one that lived longer than other people's so we just happened to be the fish that crawled out of the ocean and turned into something <laughs> exactly and that and that's where we stand on this but um, I will gear us start towards our topic of today, just because um, me and McCon- me and me and McConaughey can't do another chit chat episode. Like we really need to stay. <laughs> we we get carried away. Um, yeah, and I'm very so, excited. Yeah. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about King Kong theory. By did you look up how to pronounce this girl's name? Nope. Neither did I. Um, by 
we're just going to say her last name is by Despentes, but we will put it in the, obviously we'll put it in the show notes, like what the book is actually called. So then um, you guys can read it because honestly, one of the best books that I've read um, in the past two years. Um, no, literally, I have had such a hard time reading, but I couldn't put this down. I'm going to yeah. read uh, the author's little bio back here for us to start. I think her name is, it's either Virgin or Virginie. She's French. Um, she is French, though. Despentes worked in an independent record store in the early 1990s, was a sex worker, and published her first novel, Base Moy, when she was 23. She adapted the novel for the screen in 2000, co-directing with the porn star Coralie Tree Thee. Upon release, it became the first film to be banned in France in 28 years. Um, Despente is the author of more than 15 other works, including Bye Bye Blondie, Pretty Things, and the acclaimed Vernon Substex Trilogy yeah i don't know if she writes only like is this her first non-fiction book or like i'm i don't, i think it, i think this is her because basically the king kong theory is like a feminist manifesto in a way in a like way. yeah it's a manifesto. so let's read the first sentence because it truly is a manifesto for what she calls out she says that she writes for the realms of the ugly or the ugly, for the old, the bull dykes, the frigid, the unfucked, the unfuckable, the hysterics, the freaks, all those excluded excluded from the great meat market of female flesh. Like, you guys have to read the book because she talks a lot about, like, her, like, work and, you know, being a sex worker and how it was. And she's lived such a cool life. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot that's happened in her life. I will say in the first in the first essay, because basically King Kong Theory is six essays and we're going to be talking about four of them. Hey, Mac from the future. So we didn't get to cover all of them today, but there will be a part two. So don't worry. Um, but in the first one, she says, like, she talks a lot about how she views herself as not, or what is that? Like, she thinks society doesn't view her as pretty. Because she was talking about how she was dressing, like, she was punk rock when, you know, it was really big. Um, and she said, yeah, she said that, um pretty much that they don't society doesn't view her as pretty or attractive because of like she had a mohawk and like she shaved her head at one point and you know she wore black lipstick all this punk stuff um because she didn't look like the ideal woman um which honestly i love being a raging lesbian dyke like being is virginia is she a lesbian i don't know i don't think she uh, says exactly i don't think she says either that's that's a good question but um the idea of being like just like society's like ideal woman sounds so boring (laughs) to me yeah well in in the way that they've told us what idealized beauty is yeah it definitely sounds boring um but I can go ahead and start with the chapter that I have been selected to tell you guys about, which is titled, Who's Taking It Up the Ass? You or Me? And I'm just, I mean, there, I'm going to s- s- talk about a few quotes that were in here and just my general thoughts on it, and then Makata will give uh, theirs. So, Despente is basically in this chapter is more just talking about how women in general are viewed by society Uh, one of the things that she says was one minute we're accused of constantly playing the victim and the next we're told that we're fucking the wrong way too slutty or too lovey-dovey whatever we're not doing what we're getting wrong too hardcore or not sensual enough Um, which I feel like every woman 
and even trans women now so it doesn't have to be like oh you were you were born a woman so you have to experience this but i'm sure that trans this is a trans woman thing as well or uh like non-binary anyone who experiences womanhood yeah basically um can understand this sentiment like every time they get ready in the morning um because i don't know if you do this but like sometimes obviously i dress on purpose to not be catcalled like i tried to dress like oh yeah the most mannish way that i can if i'm going like just because it's like you always have to think about like how you're going to be perceived outside Mm -hmm. um by people specifically men but um right because i like if it was a hot summer day and i put on short shorts and just like a crop top or something and i went out people would perceive me way way differently than if i had like gym shorts and a t-shirt on exactly so i actually have a quick story to share when i got slut shamed outside of a target um a couple of years ago and this is why i don't wear shorts to this day i think i internalize these comments even though like i i know it was stupid but yeah i don't wear shorts anymore because this i was in target and i was wearing shorts that like kind of probably show the bottom of my ass but like whatever it was summertime it was like fucking 95 degrees outside and they were like jean shorts and this lady catches up to me outside of the target and says you don't need to dress that way for men and i was like i'm sorry what because i was like in such a confused like and she was like like she was like it came from a good place but it's like you're kind of just reinforcing that women dress for men right i'm like babe i was not i'm in a target and i'm like what are you talking about and i just remember that pissed me that pissed me off a lot but i mean yeah situations like that where even even it's not even just men like you have to think about what other women might say to you like girl keep that fucking comment to yourself nobody asked you that this was like a a lady who was like 30s or 40s go ahead just you know natural care and age um i feel that too like with uh you know just the perception like when i shaved my head my automatic thought was that men were gonna leave me alone yep and this is probably gonna sound like depressing and it kind of was but i've gotten over it you know mommy issues but my mom has always been like jealous of me because she thinks that like I stole her beauty and youth and da, 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 da. and um but when I shaved my head I like could tell that she no longer considered me beautiful and so she didn't feel threatened by me anymore which has like helped improve our relationship but in like a, a really, fucked up way very fucked up way um but the thing that was really surprising to me which was also kind of annoying is that like even when my head was shaved I would go into a club and I get hit on by more men because they'd be like, oh, like, I like your cut, like kind of use that to slide in. And I'm like, yeah, the cut is screaming at night. Mm-hmm. Me alone. Yeah. And it's men. Men could never take the hint if it hit them in the face. So there's really nothing that you can do for a man to not hit on you. I think I've been hit on in every shape and form that I've ever been in. But obviously mm-hmm. you get hit on less when you're dressed like a man versus if I go outside in like a nice cute outfit, I always am worried. I mean, now I don't have to interact at, but well, okay. So like if I want to go out for drinks or something like that, and I'm obviously getting all done up, I won't take the bus because I'm afraid that I'm going to be harassed on the bus. So that's why I just take the Uber to and from the place. Cause it's like, I don't want to be, sexually harassed on a bus and then they can follow wherever I'm going. Yeah. So yeah. And then I love being a woman. Um, The author also says we women are embarrassed by our powers, constantly policed by men who keep sticking their noses into our business, telling us what's good for us, what's bad for us, but especially by other women through family and through women's magazines and public discourse, which is also so true. Um, especially people in our mom's age bracket, I feel like are the worst about policing other women and like what other women are wearing and like what their hair looks like and blah, blah, blah. I 
I keep seeing this um, one quote that says, they say a woman's first blood doesn't come from between her legs, but from biting her tongue. Um, And also, like, this was a while ago, so I'm probably not going to be able to, like, explain it fully. But it was something about, you know, like, our mother's generation is so critical because they were dealing with the same issues like in an age of where, you know, women were gaining more rights and everything, you know, being able to be independent. Um, Mm -hmm. And so like, I feel like it's kind of conflicting. And for some reason that turns into them being harder on us in a way to try to protect us. Yeah. But we are so like open-minded and have expectations of how to be treated actually equally. And so then it just seems condescending. Yeah, I want to make a comment on that, but I'm going to wait until um, you can't rape a woman who's a total slut to uh, say it because that one's that that chapter is a fucking doozy. But um, that chapter is going to that's going to be a minute long. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she also says the overmarketing of femininity seems like an apology to men for the loss of their prerogatives as a way of reassuring ourselves by reassuring them. We want to be liberated, but not too much. We want to play the game, but we don't want our powers associated with the phallus. We don't want to scare anyone. Um, women instinctively put themselves down, conceal their freedoms. They've only just acquired play the role of the seductress. Um, yeah, just, and I just said, that's just explaining the double-edged sword of being a woman in the Western world, because obviously in the West, we have a lot more privileges than women of other countries. So I'm not going to say that our issues are the absolute worst, but still, I mean, to be a woman in society is a double-edged sword. Like you can. I feel like that description is I that made me think of like the cool girl monologue, you know? Like you do these things for men knowing. Yes. And I feel like you don't even necessarily realize when a guy is calling you the cool girl. Like obviously men have said that probably both to us like multiple times. Like, oh, you're so cool. Like you're not even in the you're not like other girls but just saying like oh you're really cool like i didn't think you were gonna be so cool (laughs) and we take that as a compliment like oh my god a man thinks i'm cool i'm like is he even cool is he cool (laughs) what are you bringing to the table right well i don't know if you were gonna touch on this but this was like towards the end of this chapter um but it was talking about how though you know women have this life it also there's no winners in the deal because men are it's okay so she says women's bodies belong to men only in as much as men's bodies belong to the means of production in peacetime and into the state of war increasingly the real disparity is one of social class so women will keep providing children to fight wars and men will keep getting themselves killed to protect the interest of a handful of short-sighted fuckwits. Yeah, I mean, I I had a, I had that she noted obviously that men have to. Not that I give a fuck what men have to deal with, to be quite honest with you. But obviously, they have their own issues. But it's all rooted in the patriarchy. So you're complaining about how you've been told that like men can't be afraid, men can't cry, they have to be a protector, they always have to make the first move, they have to show aggression, um, fear homosexuality. But baby, you created the system, so I don't know what to tell you about that. One um, video, it was like a. Republican teenager and then it was a liberal mom and he was like why do you assume that I have more privilege she's like because you're a man and he's like well more men kill themselves and he she was like who do you think set that up sweetheart oh Um, yeah that system up yeah I hate when they bring that up that men kill themselves more I'm like okay but let's talk about why they're killing themselves because society that the patriarchy has built has put so much pressure on these men to provide for a family, to be in, to be all those things I just listed. Feelings. Exactly. That's why. And that's why I I think it's like age 40 to 50 is like the highest suicide rate for men because you know, you can only put up with that for so long. So maybe they should start addressing the patriarchy. Well, I think because of, you know, 
how much of a hold the patriarchy has on our society still. Like, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get to a point where we are no longer a patriarchy and it actually is more equal. Um, But I think that in the time that we're in, we kind of have to tackle issues the same way that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did when she was that first case that she fought. It was about gender discrimination. And, you know, all the cases that discriminated against women, you know, they would just be like, oh, well, that's just how women are naturally supposed to be. So it's not actually discrimination. But then she had, you know, the case where a man was being discriminated against on the basis of his gender. And because of that, that's, you know, when it was taken more seriously because it had to do with a man. Mm -hmm. So it's in order for us to escape the patriarchy, we have to use the patriarchy. Makes sense to me. I believe that theory. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it I'm gonna pass it off to you for uh say you can't rape a woman who's a total slut. Alrighty. This one I'm just gonna go ahead. We'll probably put a trigger warning at the top of the episode just because a lot of this, you know, I feel like Yeah, this whole chapter is like a trigger warning. Yes. Um, And also what I'm going to be saying about it also might be a trigger warning to some people, but also I don't really care because it's my fucking story. So um, the first thing is I hadn't even read this chapter, but just the title, You Can't Rape a Woman Who's a Total Slut, like really hit me because I think that if I was still in my whore era, I wouldn't have been raped. Because I wouldn't have said no in the first place. I see what you're. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, the only reason I said no was because I wanted to, you know, not fuck on the first date, you know, and be quote unquote good as like. Mm-hmm. You know. And so, like, you know, that's like, I talked to my therapist about it, obviously, because it's like kind of like a imposter syndrome type feeling, you know, because it's like I can't. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Like, I couldn't have prevented my own rape, you know? But, like... Yeah. Well, even if you would have said yes, you probably wouldn't have meant it either way. Right. You know? So you can't blame yourself for not being in your, as you said, horror era. But I get the sentiment that you're... Where you're coming from. Yeah. So, Despentis talks about her own rape in this chapter. Um, So, anyone reading it, of course, you know, be mindful of that. That's one thing, too, is I really want to read her other book, Baze Moy, which means rape me in French. Um, But, yeah, I looked it up because I was like, what does that mean? Um, Yeah, that's what it means. but I don't know if I'm, like, out of place to read it yet. I might be. We'll see. I But, so, yeah, so she talks about her own rape. And then she also talks about um, what's it like, you know, for women after a rape is because typically a lot of women will, you know, feel for this is men don't believe you. People don't believe you. You have to, um, let me read. I highlighted it. Because when it comes, so Dispentis says, when it comes to rape, you have to keep on proving you weren't up for it. As though guilt is drawn by some magnetic moral force towards the girl who got raped, rather than the guy who did the raping. And like, you know, that has obviously always pissed me off and, you know, majority of women about like the rape culture that our society has. Um, and, you know, that's one of the reasons, like, I didn't go forward is because if I had gone to the police, they would have done the whole, like, oh, but, like, were you drinking? Oh, but did you do this? And she talks I, about how I think she, I don't know if it was her or somebody else, but got raped um, when they were, like, hitchhiking or something. And mm-hmm. that they just kept hitchhiking and they were telling somebody about this and they were like, why would you do that? You're like, you're just setting yourself up to get raped again. Like, you know, kind of insinuating that like she wanted it. I do want to mention also just like the title of this essay is 
what happens to women, especially if you have had a lot of sex in your life, they're like, oh, well, if you've had a lot of sex, then there's no way you could be raped because you're promiscuous. So I guess they wanted it in some way, like exactly. And and I wrote, I found this one poem and it says to be born into girlhood is to be born neck deep into violence. Godhood is just like girlhood, girlhood, a begging to be believed. And so whether you're literally a virgin or a child or you're a slut or a whore, do you boo? People aren't going to believe you. And Yeah, it doesn't matter. Also interesting, too, because she talked about how rape doesn't have a category in literature the same way that other traumas do. And it's because people have just made the topic of rape such taboo. Like people who've been raped aren't even supposed to talk about it. You know, it's kind of just supposed to be like, oh, you know, don't talk about it. Act like it doesn't happen. But I found a new hero. Uh, Her name is Camille. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but she is probably the most controversial American feminist. She proposed thinking of rape as a risk inherent to the condition of being a woman. Um, And she had an interview with Despentes and she says... It's an inevitable risk. It's a risk that women had to take into account, a risk they have to accept if they want to go outside and move around freely. If it happens to you, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and move on. If you're too scared, stay home with mummy and do your nails. Which, you know, obviously, you first off hearing something like that, you're like, why would you say that, you know? But any woman who thinks on it for longer than two seconds is going to it's going to like hit home because all women have experienced that literally today i was selling my desk uh, my old desk and i sold it to a person that had literally come with the rest of his family to pick up my bed set yesterday so i already met him and he you know asked if he could also buy the desk for me and you know we exchanged information and i went to meet him today and it literally, I, you know, it popped into my head. I was like, what if he's like, just like, he doesn't actually want to like buy the desk. He's just like trying to get me alone to rape me in my apartment. Yep. That's like what I thought of, which, you know, I obviously don't like having that thought about people that I don't know. You know, I don't want to judge people, but also it's literally, you have but to what just it- about that. I mean, yeah, there's there's so many stories of so many different ways that it's happened to women that it's like, yeah, it's in. I mean, I feel like we're taught more than men at a young age, like men are going to take advantage of you. Oh, yes. I wrote something down about that, too. Okay, so, yeah. So she talks about how, you know. Little girls are brought up learning to never hurt men. And whenever a woman flouts that rule, she's quickly put back in her place. You know, when she talks about men hurting women. And I think that also goes into, like, why there's no literature about it. It's, you know, the patriarchy. Men don't want to be called out for their crimes, which you literally see because men don't hold their own friends accountable. Like, well, yeah, it's just like that statement, like, it's crazy that I know all of these women that have mm-hmm. these stories of being taken advantage of, yet men know no rapists and no sexual assaulters. That doesn't make any sense. Right. And they also try to use, like, sexuality and just, like, the natural urges of men. And, but, you know, like, it's a man, a man's desire is so overpowering, you know, he can't he's helpless to control it um she said you still hear people say if it weren't for whores there'd be a lot more raves as though men cannot help themselves as though they had to shoot their load somewhere um and if testosterone truly turned men into animals with irrepressible urges they would murder as easily as they rape and they don't um so she talks about how you know her film was pulled from french theaters because they said we can't condone violence as a solution to rape so basically in the film these girls are raped and they capture their rapist and then they rape and torture him um and of course 
people didn't like this. You know, you can't condone violence for rape, but it's really funny because there are a handful of movies that have the same premise, but they were just written by men. Yeah. So a couple of them, The Last House on the Left, Mrs. 45, and then the one that I specifically want to touch on, because I also just watched it recently, is I Spit on Your Grave. Have you ever seen that? No. So if you haven't seen I Spit on Your Grave, extreme caution if you watch it, because it is incredibly triggering. Like, it, it does show a rape and everything so yeah definitely take caution when you watch it but this girl uh you know moves to this small town to you know go away and like write and you know be by herself which women should be able to do but you're not um and these this like group of like fucking hillbillies uh you know they rape her and they think that they kill her because uh she ends up like falling into this river and she comes back um, and ends up killing all of them. She tortured them. She shoved a shotgun up one guy's ass and then pulled the trigger. And I stood up and applauded. Um, but, you know, while that, you know, the movie and just the substance is controversial, like, it was still allowed. And it's incredibly graphic. But then when a woman does it for something that, you know, isn't purely a woman's experience but it's it's majority and also there are men that get raped but men get raped by other men so um well i mean there is the small percentage of men who do get taken advantage by women but like i said is it it, is it there's women that rape other women you know but yeah but right now we're talking about men perpetrating crimes against women oh and and she does she continues um just talking about how like you know men are allowed to create that and they create female characters and it's not it's really an attempt to understand what they're feeling or experiencing as a woman it's just a way of putting male sensibility into a female body which you know also kind of leads into porn so if we want to jump over to porn wishes. So I was actually thinking because this episode's already, well, Sleeping with the Enemy is next, but because this episode's already 38 minutes long, we should include the porn witches in our ethics of porn. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Thing. But Sleeping with the Enemy is on prostitution. And actually, this is what I think I sent McConnell a screenshot of. I can't remember what the quote that I screenshotted and sent it to you. And I was like, you need to read this book. And that's how we both ended up reading the book because I found it from some girl on Instagram. I started reading it. I said, Makana, you've got to read this. So sleeping with the enemy is her essay on prostitution where she discusses her. What's was it from sleeping with the enemy? Yes. It's hard not to think that what respectable women are actually saying when they express concerns about whores is that deep down they're afraid of competition, unfair competition, because it's too effective and too straightforward. If the prostitute could work in decent conditions, like a beautician or a shrink, if the legal pressure she currently faces were abolished, the role of married women suddenly becomes much less attractive. And that's what really sold me on this fucking book. I mean, I was shocked because I never thought of it like that before. But yeah, so Despetes was a prostitute in her 20s. She says that there's no legislation that bans sleeping on the streets at age 40. Homelessness is an acceptable humiliation, which... I mean, I could argue... I don't know when this book was written, but obviously you could argue that homelessness is now being um, criminalized. And, and to a certain extent, talking about, like, you know, the homeless. Anyway, we'll have to it get to that. It might be different in France, too, though. I don't know how other countries oh, that's true. handle their uh, homeless populations. Um, drudgery is another, but selling sex, on the other hand, is everyone's business. And respectable women have to have their say in the matter. Basically saying that even if people want to be sex workers, that there are still going to be women, specifically, that think that it's insulting to the dignity of women. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure there's some branch of feminism that's like no sex work because you know, that's, that's for the men. 
Right. And they're saying that it's like putting you down as a woman. But she did say I highlighted it. It said often divorced women who receive substantial alimony and who, without a flicker of doubt, explained to me that prostitution is de facto a bad thing for women. Yeah. And it's like, OK, girl, whatever you say, um, something really interesting Oh, yeah. So this is another note, but McConnell already described it, that women will find prostitutes as some kind of competition. Because like you said, men can just pay them, have sex with them and no emotional strings attached in the same way that if you get married to a woman or you date a woman, like it's just easier to buy the sex kind of thing. And you obviously don't have to go through the same lengths to get a sex worker since that's her occupation versus like you're going to have to court a woman, get her to like you, have sex with her, you know, all of the lies that men tell us. Um, And also the way that like sex workers, you know, you are truly putting on an act the same way that like a server puts on an act. And the man can also ask the sex worker for things that he can't ask his wife. Exactly. She talks about, so she was a prostitute from 1991 to 1993 using an online chat room where she would go and select the kind of men that she wanted to do business with. She said, this is a quote, almost everyone is fascinated by a woman who chooses to dress like a whore. I'd become a giant plaything. One thing was clear. I could do the job. In the end, you didn't need to be a mega babe or adept some weird secret techniques to become a female or a femme fatale. You just had to play the game, the femininity game. Um, which she said that like dressing hyper feminine because like you said like she had the like punk rock look was like weird at first but then she enjoyed creating this version of herself kind of like an actress or like a you know a server puts on a uniform I think that's what she was looking at plus the male gaze obviously has some part of us all as a sense yeah, she said, like, the effect that she had on men was like hypnotic you know, so it, it kind of, it kind of also has like that addictive effect. It's like you're, because I mean, I feel like I really like for this because like especially like when I was in high school and college, I was like super feminine and I literally catered to the male gaze. But I I also acknowledge that like I loved putting like men down. Like I hung out with frats, yeah. so like younger guys, I would treat them like shit. But it was like a power play and. I felt powerful. Yeah. But it was like power and just being like hot to like this kid. And I definitely understand where you're coming from. I've definitely had that, that same sentiment before. Uh, a comparison that I thought was really provoking was when she pointed out how oftentimes sex workers are stigmatized and criminalized for their behavior, especially socially, but men are not judged in the same way because she wrote to say that you visited whores is different. It doesn't set a man apart. It doesn't tarnish his sexuality. It doesn't define him in any way. The men who visit prostitutes are expected to be diverse in their motives and their actions in terms of social class, race, age, education. The women who do the work are immediately stigmatized and they are lumped into a single category, victims, which, I mean, obviously now I feel like, I'm not, again, I don't know when this book was written, but now I feel like there is a bit of a, more of a push to support sex work and sex workers and not being like they're all victims right. there are but victims there of course, but. Still, you know like the people that are against sex work they definitely consider them victims like the women who will tell other women like you are making yourself a victim um but this is like a little bit down from where you're reading but it says like society she says society isn't afraid that sex workers won't survive quite the reverse it's terrified that they'll say that as jobs go it's not that bad and not simply because all work is degrading difficult and demanding but because also lots of men are never as affectionate as they are with a whore which goes into two being competition to other women because men will be more affectionate with a whore than they are with their wife yeah and i mean I guess I just never heard it pointed out before, so um, I thought that that's why I was so I was in shock, honey. Um, jo- I was just going to say that she said that her prostitution helped her reconstruct her essay by proving to her that sex did not wear with use, and gave her her power back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she also goes on to say people tend to give you a disbelieving look when you tell them you've been a hooker, but it's the same thing as rape. As rape. 
rank hypocrisy. If it was possible to make a census, they'd be stunned to find out the actual number of girls who have sex with strangers for money. Hypocrisy because in all our culture, the line between seduction and prostitution is very blurry. Um, this goes into kind of being threatened and like pitying and, you know, saying that these women are victims. When we pity the women as objects, the boob job bimbos and the anorexic or in the anemic anorexic pictures on TV, we pretend not to notice that effect. Um, but it's the men who are really flatural. It's like no one told him that Santa Claus won't be coming down the chimney. They only have to have one glimpse of a red coat and they go running after it, waving the list of presents they wanted to see under the Christmas tree. Because it really is like men are so stupid to think that women are catfishing them with wearing a lot of makeup or dressing up. Like, no, you're just dumb if you think I have naturally blue eyelids. You know what? Don't even get me fucking started on men that are like, oh, you're catfishing, blah, blah, blah. Don't even get me fucking started on them. Because, you know, my dad is one of them. He's definitely one of them. And I'm like, and yeah, I feel like women are made to feel ugly when they aren't wearing makeup around men. And um, I've tried to get over that. Even with, like, women that I'm with now, I still feel like, mm you know like i don't really know if i want to take off my makeup yet and stuff because it's like oh i'm so afraid they're not going to find me attractive when i don't have my makeup on just because of how men have bullied the fuck out of women by first saying you're ugly and then you wear makeup so that you don't so that you appear more attractive and then they're like oh you're taking your face you're a cat yeah, you, you, you wear too much makeup cannot win. and it's also like other people will put you down to like not even like someone that you're trying to look attractive to if you like don't wear makeup and you go to work or school they're like oh my god are you okay you look tired are you sick don't that's <laughs> my face actually this is what i naturally look like i don't have um perfect under eyes i actually do have backs because i don't get enough sleep thank you for reminding me and i was also thinking about because i was doing uh, my makeup today because I was bored. Um, and I was thinking about how I put on foundation and concealer to take away, away the redness in my cheeks, the natural flush that I have. And then I put blush on top of that yeah. to make my cheeks red. Like, But for some reason, that one is better than the other one. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Okay. I, I need to... Um... To, fin- to finish this up, um, this is what I have, a quote from our girl. She said, the character of a whore is a good example. When we're told that prostitution is a violent act against women, it's an attempt to make us forget that it is marriage that is a violent act against women and that all the general shit that we have to put up with. And she also says, male sexuality in itself does not constitute a violent act against women as long as they're consenting and well-paid. It is the control exerted over us that is violent, the power first that power to decide for us what is and what is not dignified. And I said, slay queen. You said it best. So that also makes me go to the point where she says that, you know, women, like married women, women who put down sex workers and look down on them, they're actually the ones that are giving up their independence because at least whores get to go back to their own little lives once the John has shot his load. So the women give up their independence, right? And then the men, the Johns, um, his, their sexuality is only acknowledged if they have the means to shell it out. Oh, I think I had, I think I also, I had written that down somewhere. I remember that. Yeah. There's, there's another chapter called porn, which is like, um, which I'm not sure if we're going to leave that part where we talked about it. Maybe we did. Uh, but I don't know, um, where we're going to talk about when she talks about the ethics of porn and stuff, but we're going to make that a whole episode just talking about the ethics of porn. So maybe that won't be our next episode. Maybe we should make our next episode like fun and fresh. So maybe we should do a conspiracy theory. Um, <laughs> something, something, some, something fun and fresh for the summertime. Um, yeah, but we'll you guys should definitely check out this book if it sounds like something that you would like. Because me and Makana very much enjoyed this book. I gave it five stars on my Goodreads. Yes, five stars. I also wanted to end it on this one quote because I put brackets around it. And I also feel like 
you know, it, it just wraps it up really well, right? The whole prostitution talk, because we kept going back and forth, you know? Um, she says, I'm not claiming that this type of work is harmless in all circumstances and for all women. But the global capitalism being what it is, a cold, relentless war to prohibit the practice of prostitution is an appropriate legal setting, is to specifically prohibit women as a class from making money and profiting from their own stigmatization. Exactly. Which I I do feel like, like I said, like I think that as a society, we're getting a lot better at not criminalizing and stigmatizing sex workers. Um, but obviously that's going to be a long, it's going to be a very, very long time. And obviously some sex work is not as frowned upon as other sex work. still, like only fans versus like a street, mm-hmm. you know, a woman who, uh, a sex worker that works on the actual, like just meets random people on the street in that way. So yeah, we're definitely going to have to do. I found out a fact that I thought was really interesting because I know a lot of people look at sex workers and are like, Oh, you guys are like sold into like human trafficking, like sex trafficking. Did you know it's like 90% of the people in sex trafficking in the U S are trafficked by their families. Specifically children. That's a fun fact about the U.S. Did not let that. women make their bag. Yes, you don't want that's to what we're saying. Dick, let her do it and fucking get tip for it. All right. Um, thank you guys so much for um, sticking with us through our hiatuses that we've had, and hopefully this episode will come out. We'll be more regular and uploading our episodes once a week. Oh, we will. My Adderall is back and it is working its magic <laughs> in my brain and I have all the energy in the world to edit constantly. So, um, yeah, we will do, you know, another episode about the other essays and, you know, going more into the porn industry and everything. But we're going to do, a, you know, a fun, happy, lighthearted episode. So if you guys have anything you'd like us to talk about, that's a little haha, a little late, a little late for the springtime, um, mm-hmm. let us know yeah so thank you guys so much subscribe to us on instagram at lesbians podcast or patreon at patreon.com slash lesbians pod thank y'all for being here today goodbye